Hey Charlie, how's it going? Very good, thank you, very good. Yeah, it's been a while since we've actually talked. I'd say maybe two or three years now since we last connected. Yeah, it feels like it's definitely been a couple of years, but it's gone by quick. Yeah, for sure. Well, great to see you. Um, I'm going to introduce you to our our listeners. So I'm joined by Charlie Saunders. He's a co-founder with his wife, Chrissy. They operate a end-to-end marketing and RevOps agency working with B2B SaaS companies uh, called CS2. And so I always thought it was very clever because both of your initials are CS. So when I first found out about that, it was kind of mind blowing. I was like, oh, wait, you guys are related. You guys are married. That's even better. <laughs> so yeah, we, um, we met at a previous company, Jive Software. That was where Chrissy went after she worked at Marketo. And uh, one thing led to another. We got married. Moved, moved, I moved out to America. And at the same time, we started CS2. So it's been about, I think we're coming up to nine years now. That's so amazing. It's incredible longevity in this market. Yeah. Yeah. There's always problems to solve for clients. Like the work is never ending. So we've actually had some clients that probably since around about the time we started. So we still keep on finding work to do. There's a lot of work to be done. That's crazy. So again, congratulations on child number two. I saw that you guys made a personal announcement. I think that's huge. I have a young three-year-old myself, but um, two children. Tell me about that a little bit. I mean, I think it depends on kind of luck of the draw with kind of what child you get. You, I've noticed very much that they come out completely different. <laughs> baby number one was a lot of work. Baby number two has been a lot easier, which has been nice. I think you can get it that way around or the other way around. Um, but seeing the relationship between them has been really special. You know, two girls, they both really, it seems like the favorite, their favorite person is each other. So it's really sweet. So very happy. So I've worked with CS2 as a client when I was uh, in another company a couple of years ago, and I found that our partnership was an incredible unlock for our top of funnel. And I always viewed CS2 as a strong strategic partner to the C-suite, driving one of the key pillars for this podcast, which is you know data-driven decision-making and making RevOps more proactive. And I believe you were able to do that for me. So one of the conversations that I want to focus on today is thinking about you know metrics that matter. You know, you know, what do you see out in the marketplace when you're engaging with revenue operators and marketing and sales leaders? You know, what are those metrics that matter? And is it the same or universal for a lot of the companies? I mean, I think it, it should be relatively universal, um, but you do see a lot of differences between companies and those kind of that may be focusing less on the metrics that matter and some metrics that don't matter as much. When I think about metrics, there's really just a few categories. Um, and generally, the closer you are to the metric being related to revenue and pipeline, the better. And that's really when you want to get it. It's really the metrics that matter to the business, right? So when you think about the different categories, there's the, the funnel is one of the most fundamental that we think of as part of kind of creating some of the metrics that matter. So it's all around looking at your funnel, looking at the volume of people and accounts moving through your funnel, the conversion rates through your funnel and the velocity through your funnel and attaching the campaigns and channels that are associated with those journeys through the funnel to pipeline and revenue. So I think when it comes down to looking at like pipeline creation, revenue creation and all of the things that lead up to that, the funnel reporting is such a key pillar. And I know we're going to talk about a good amount of that today. But funnel reporting, it's really good at showing you what is really just capturing demand. It's like 
okay, this is how the person entered the funnel. This is the tipping point. It was outbound. It was maybe a, a marketing program. It was a demo form. But it's not amazing at showing you some of the other important things that you need to look at to be able to optimize what you're doing and looking at other metrics that also matter. That's where other forms of attribution come in. And attribution, I know, is such a hot topic these days. Everyone has kind of their personal opinion on attribution. And I think kind of most people are right in their criticisms and the different ways that they're using attribution because attribution is in there's so many forms of attribution that can be utilized to answer different questions. There's attribution like self-reported attribution, which is really good at helping you understand how are we creating demand? Like what are, what are our prospects and customers kind of interacting with that's driving their interest in, in wanting to talk to us? And then there's other more multi-touch attribution to be able to see what are all of the touch points along the customer journey and how, what is the relationship to, with those two to revenue and how can we try and understand how to optimize our budget allocation and our marketing activities to drive more of the converting demand activities that we're doing. So I think when we just think about some of the categories, I think it is important to kind of think about these pillars separately and to think about them in different ways. So then you can really understand the mix of, you know, marketing and revenue reporting that you need to make key business decisions and to be able to prove and show what is working to your C-suite and board. So I find that interesting. I find there's a real cultural war with marketing and RevOps talking about attribution. In fact, one of the, if you want to smash a good LinkedIn post, you can just write attribution is dead or MQL is dead, something, yep. something yep. baity like that. And I think you'll get a lot of views. But when it comes to attribution, I think you're right. I think there's valid criticism on the how to actually think through your attribution. But I think folks are completely wrong in that attribution is worthless. Because attribution is a conversation of nuance, and it's like a jigsaw puzzle that can be looked at different ways. And in fact, when I think one of the metrics that I always argue with folks on is marketing sourced versus marketing influenced. And when we get to the conversation of marketing sourced, then it becomes a battle for credit. Who gets credit for specific leads, specific opportunities? But in reality, buyers come to you from all different points of view. There's no one way that's always the way that other folks come into the funnel. And so if we can look at, you know, we know that a certain percentage or of leads revolve around inbound and outbound and back to inbound. And it's kind of that, that flow between both sales and marketing. And that's why I always think influence is super interesting. And then thinking through how did that get an influence? If you use a first in model, the first touch, last touch, or multi-touch and multi-touch gets into these strange letters like U shape, W shape, v-shaped and that nuance is what needs to be studied and carefully thought through with a narrative and the data will always you know tell you one thing you want to see that or validate another person's point of view um but i i, th I think it starts with you know okay well, how do we set up these metrics we know the volumes we know the conversions now if we can find those golden nuggets and how they arrive to us i think that's hugely important I found that there's a movement towards more self-reported attribution. Uh, I'd be curious about your experience working with clients. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, how do they start off at adding, incorporating that in addition to kind of their UTM tracked attribution modeling? Well, I think I'd like to touch on a couple of things that you mentioned there because because I completely agree. I think 
all of the different attribution models, all of the different ways that you can report, they all have some value. Like I always kind of think about it as triangulating kind of what is working. You can't just rely on just, you know, sourced pipeline, sourced revenue. You can't just rely on multi-touch attribution. You can't just rely on self-reported attribution because they're all telling you different signals. And you've got to be able to take all of that data, analyze that data properly, and then be able to tell a story, like you said. And the story is really how you then drive change. But in, in when you're actually trying to think about how to utilize all of these forms and methods and models of analytics, like you actually need to really try and what are you trying to get out of it? Like, what are you trying to understand here? Understand kind of the, the point of view and then some of the biases. So specifically with self-reported attribution, I think it is valuable because what is really hard, I think with, and this is one of the common criticisms of multi-touch attribution, is there are just so many touch points that don't get tracked, right? Like, you know, a podcast is a good example. It's really hard to track a podcast. You know, if you've ungated all of your content, it's really hard to really track, you know, all the anonymous activity on that ungated content, because not all of that's going to be tied back to the opportunity and revenue. And there's so, so many more examples of just all of these um, untracked activities that you, if you're completely reliant on a multi-touch attribution model, that's having to use your known, known people and all of their touch points in your CRM, then you are missing that picture. So self-reported attribution kind of comes and fills that gap where you can just ask people. And I mean, there's different methods, right? I mean, on LinkedIn, you see a lot of people talking about adding, how did you hear about us to form? So I think that's fine. There's different ways that you can get your sales team to try and get that information from prospects on sales calls. You can even listen to different things that might be coming up in a transcript on Gong or your call recorder and update fields in your CRM. I mean, there's so many ways to try and get that information. One is also underutilized is just actually setting up customer interviews and just talking to people, right? And actually being more proactive to understand your customer and more of a research approach. So I think when it comes to self-reported attribution specifically, I think it just fits that gap where we're not really able to track some of the marketing activities and you're trying to still get insight into that. But it's not it's not a replacement for the other forms of attribution. Like you mentioned, multi-touch attribution. Yeah, you can still get like first touch attribution out of, you know, uh, an attribution tool that's going to sometimes tell you how a person first kind of found out about you. So that's a good, good signal there too. But then where I think often people don't use multi-touch attribution um, is to really understand the, the lift in conversion and velocity through your funnel. Um, influence, influence is another kind of hotly debated topic in, in kind of these circles, I feel like, where, I mean, every opportunity should have been influenced by marketing, right? And often every opportunity has been influenced by most of your marketing channels. So if you're looking at just like, you know, okay, we've got $100 million of pipeline, how much has been influenced by marketing, it should be $100 million, right? So like, is that really a, a useful signal? It's, it's a bit debatable there. And then often, a lot of your channels have, have built up into that influence. So maybe it's a bit harder to, to piece together. And there's there's a lot of bias with that, where maybe every single, per, every single person on account does a certain marketing activity before there's an opportunity being created. Like maybe there's this like one piece of content that everyone downloads. And now we just think like that 
just gets all of the attribution, right? It's because it's just it's just like their volume bias effect. Um, but where it is nice, where you can try and strip away some of that bias with multi-touch attribution is to go, okay, well, can, are we seeing a lift in conversion rates from opportunity to close one if people engage with channel X, offer X, channel Y, offer Y? So say you're doing a CMO breakfast or whatever, and you're selling to marketers and with, you're doing that to open opportunities. Do opportunities actually close at a higher rate, like, like 80% when that activity is during the sales cycle versus the average close rate? And the multi-touch attribution data you have is really good at being able to do that because you're capturing every touch point. And then you can see the averages of conversion rates across the different channels and, and offers. There's a few kind of different modes of using all of this data that I think some people d forget about when they're like overly criticizing, you know, one way or another. Now, when it comes to attribution, I always think of the funnel and we break it down into, I think a lot of folks will use the word leads, the, the concept of a lead and a marketing qualified lead, a sales qualified lead. But one thing that I think was a powerful unlock is really thinking through if you're selling to the mid-market or to the enterprise, you really should consider maybe a marketing qualified account or an account-based funnel what would that look like as opposed to, you know, a lead-based funnel, an account-based funnel? You know, what are you seeing and what are you advising? Yeah, so I think if you're doing ABM, you need both. Um, and But what I've often seen with clients when they start doing ABM, they go, okay, I don't care about the person funnel. I just want to track an account funnel. I want to know, maybe I'm using six cents and I want to know like all of the different six cents stages and then how many are in opportunities, you know, how many of customers, et cetera. And I only want to know this across my target accounts. But the issue with that, that we've seen time and time again with different clients that we've, where we've been consulting them and they've gone down this approach is that there is so much value in the person funnel that ends up getting lost when you're only focusing on that account funnel. So for example, one of our clients, they were very big in ABM and they were doing a good job with ABM. It was working well. Um, they targeted, you know, sales, sales leaders with their product and they were getting so many sales, like perfect fit ICP um, uh, sales leaders coming through like their demo form, for example, that no one was following up with because there was no process around the person funnel because funnel tracking isn't just an analytics exercise. It's a business process exercise that you're then getting analytics on. So you're able to see that sales, that marketing to sales handoff. So someone fills out the demo form, salesperson follows up with that person. You're able to see those stage transitions and if there's drop-offs and if there's issues with that, so you can further optimize. If you're not tracking that, you know, in the what gets measured gets managed mentality, then your salespeople aren't looking for those inbound because they've only, they're, they're only trying to just target their accounts outbound and that's what you're measuring, like how many accounts have they been targeting. So you see it time and time again where these important processes in a personal funnel just get neglected because we've gone too far in, into the ABM funnel. Um, so that's why we always say, I mean, our perspective is that person funnel comes first. It's the most, probably the most fundamental exercise and implementation that you should be able to do for what we call revenue growth architecture. How you're getting, how you're capturing intent, how you're capturing buyers, how you're handing them off to sales, how sales is working them and turning that into pipeline and revenue. And that from a person perspective is very important. Um, and then once you can then layer on the account 
view, which is often influenced by the person, right? So once that person is in, the, is in an opportunity, the account can kind of move to opportunity stage two, then you can see where all of your accounts are in the process. So definitely don't neglect one or the other. But I think if you really had to choose where to start, I, we always recommend start with the person funnel. That's amazing. And so we talked about attribution earlier and something that you guys have innovated on recently is building out a custom object in the CRM and that allows you to have more granularity, more control over your insights. I'm curious, you know, what was that innovation and how are you using it today? Yeah, so we we saw, um, I mean, we've been building funnels now for, I mean, obviously pre-CS2, but now with CS2 for 10 years. And the old way that people would build funnels, when I say build funnels, I mean like the tracking of the funnel. You would get date stamps. You, I mean, most of our clients, all of our clients pretty much run Salesforce. So you have date stamps on leads, date stamps on contacts. You're stamping like the MQL date or the sales ready date, when sales started working them, when they were then added to, when they had a meeting, when they were added an opportunity, opportunity moved into a pipeline stage and then closed one and then kind of follow on customer stages. So um, if you're tracking that data on a lead and contact, specifically with like the structure of Salesforce data, you have just so many issues with it. One of the issues is that often when you hand off a, a, a person to sales, they're not ready, right? Not every single record that you hand over to sales is ready to turn into an opportunity. So sales is going to be recycling them and then maybe at one day in the future they're going to work them again or they're going to come back through again and sales are going to need to work them again if you're tracking date stamps on the lead and contact you have to overwrite their previous journey yes you can have like original mql date and most recent etc but then you're still only getting two and it's still really hard to report on that and if so if they've come through the funnel multiple times you've just lost the data and overwritten it so what our clients were seeing is like oh why am i MQL and, and meeting numbers going down in the past and and but my more recent ones look fine. It's because well the that meeting or MQL in the past, you're using the date stamp to be able to add them, add that person into that column in the report. Now it's been changed to a future date, or not a future date, like a, a more current date. And then so you've lost the the visibility in the past. There's a big data retention issue. The other issue is just like everyone's bane of their existence, which is having to report on the full end-to-end -end funnel using like a lead report and a contact report. Like we call it the, the fractured funnel where you're using like a lead report, a contact report, an opportunity report, an account report, a campaign member report. And then you're getting all of that data and you're trying to put it into an Excel file. And then you've got that in Excel and you're doing your own very custom, no non-replicable way of getting a funnel data that then to try and show everyone what the funnel data looks like. Um, and so when it comes to a custom object, you can solve those two problems. There's a few others, but I won't go into all of them, but it can solve those two problems very elegantly because when you have the custom object that's related to the lead and contact, you can then add a new record for every time they go through the funnel. So they can enter the funnel. You're then tracking the date stamps on the custom object. If they then get recycled, essentially that record in the, in the custom object is closed. And then if they come back again, you just create a new record and then you track the, the funnel uh, progression dates on the new record. So you're able to see every single journey. And then because you're reporting on a custom object, you can then just use that report type for that custom object to be able to report on it, no longer doing a lead and a contact report. 
and you're able to pull all of the opportunity information onto the custom object. So you've got full lead to cash reporting just in one place, which you know a lot of people these days have been trying to use, take their lead and contact method and push that into a data warehouse or try and do magic in there or just trying to do some stuff in their BI tool. But then the issue with that is that yes, what you have in BI makes sense mostly if you've done it well, but you can't replicate that reporting in Salesforce. So when like a new sales leader comes in and tries to do a report, they go like, why is this number different than what I've got in my BI tool? And there's all, most of our clients haven't fully transitioned to, to BI. So they're in that middle ground where there's still some stuff in Salesforce, still some stuff in BI. So they need they need the reporting to be accurate across both and the, the same report across both. So if you've got the custom object, you can beautifully sync that to your warehouse, use that in BI, and you don't need to do any data transformation on that. You just sync, use that object as is. And then that report looks exactly the same as the report you create in Salesforce. So just a few of the benefits there. Yeah, I love that you call it the fractured funnel. I called it the original sin of Salesforce, <laughs> splitting the leading contact. Yeah. And I was going to recommend that folks often go into like a third-party data warehouse, layering on and appending those two tables together. But you're right. If you have sales leaders who are accustomed to locking in to their CRM and seeing the data there, as opposed to waiting for it to hit the data warehouse, you know, it's, it's just, to me... Um, a training issue that comes with the sales team and letting them know like, hey, we're, we're now shifting where you look at your reporting from one place to the next. One thing that I do like is with the custom object is that you are allowing for re-MQLs. So someone enters the funnel at one point in time and then they disappear. They come back at another point in time. You can track that full life history of you know when they're revisiting you. You can't often do that. You can't do that at all when you're rewriting like an MQL timestamp field. So... This is the end, of the end of the show. I, I always ask all of my guests this, but I'm going to kind of change the question on you a little bit. If you were to add, if you were to sit down in a room with a chief marketing officer, what's one the calibrating or discovery question that you would ask to get some real insight on how their business is performing? And from a funnel, funnel perspective, yeah, anything really. In, in You're in the room with a CMO, so this is your opportunity to ask a, a, any question you'd like. Oh my God. One question. That's, that's, that's difficult. I mean, if I'm focusing on the funnel, uh, maybe to keep it on topic, I would just love to see, like, uh, show me, show me your final data and how your and how your team's pulling this, because I have a lot of fears for some CMOs where, I mean, not all of them have worked with, with data that uh, as much as, you know, the modern day mops and RevOps people so they understand kind of like the the swan or duck above the lake with the legs going crazy underneath like compiling all of the data for them that they're then presenting to the board and they're presenting to investors when in reality I mean data is always kind of not perfect but I think there's a lot of big companies out there that are reporting on their funnel very inaccurately so then they then build out a revenue plan where they want to say, okay, this is how much revenue we need and kind of work backwards. And they do tops down, bottom up modeling. And then they build this plan using historic data and trends that are not accurate just because of all the architectural and tracking issues that are kind of like fundamentally built into their systems or lack of, they just haven't been built properly. And it always surprises me 
how big companies can get until they realize that this is an issue. So if I, I would ask them, how is your team putting this and show me, show me some of the data. And very quickly, you could set, you can, un, you can figure out if what they're presenting to the board of investors is accurate and try and kind of get them to the place where they can have confidence in their data. Because yeah, like I said, I, I just worry about all the, those board decks out there and how inaccurate they are. And I just want to be able to fix them all and get everyone good data because it's very important. Love that. So for those who are listening and they want to connect with you, how can folks learn more about uh, you and CS2? I mean, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, um, Charlie Saunders. I think it, I might just LinkedIn forward slash Charlie Saunders, I think. <laughs> double, I have to double check that. Um, but our website for our, our consulting practice is cs2marketing.com probably the best way to get in touch with through the contact form there or like I said yeah find find me on LinkedIn DM me there I'll, I'll answer there so probably the best two ways all right thanks Charlie for joining of course happy to be here thanks for having me